Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 13. Verse number 13. But now, and what's our theme of chapter 1? In Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. In other words, um, God has given us a great, gracious gift to the lost sinner. We were at enmity with uh, God. And enmity, of course, means we were at war with Him. We were against Him. We were fighting against Him. Remember how the chapter started. Uh, uh, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were uh, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Uh, we were, our conversation in times past was the lust of our flesh. We were fulfilling the desires of our uh, flesh and of our mind. And, and, and by nature, we were children of wrath. This is what we were, but God, amen, who is rich in mercy, for his great love loved us. And, and we have to understand that uh, 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 just as it says there in verse 4, uh, and we get to verse 13, you know, again, he says, remember, verse 11, that you were in times past Gentiles in the flesh. You were the uncircumcised. Uncirc you were uh, 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 without Christ. You were aliens and strangers of the covenants and the promises you had no hope and you were without God in the world. And just as he said in verse 4, but God, he says in verse 13, but now. But now, in Christ, if you are in Christ, right, uh, uh, you have been reconciled to the enmity that you once had. It's the greatest peace mission in history. Something changed. Something changed. That's the fill in your blank in that A but now spot there if you need that. Jesus Christ not only reconciled Jew and Gentile, but he reconciled both to himself in one body, the church. And what he's about to do now, what Paul's about to start to write in these final verses of chapter number two, man, there's a lot of important things in the Bible. Amen? Everybody okay with that? Uh, I don't know that we can say one's more important than the other outside of the fact of Jesus sitting on the throne is more important than anything else because that is the most important thing. I, I, I'm with you there. But, the, but there's a lot of important things in the Bible that we need to make sure we get. Man, I, 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 this is one of them. Bless you. This is one of them. This is these next, uh, what, seven or eight verses? Uh, man, I, I'm just telling you, not understanding what they're actually saying uh, uh, or understanding what they're actually saying, it, it really can change everything. And please, 
uh, work with me on this because I think you'll see it once we're done. Nigh. Nigh. That's your fill in the blank right there. You are now made near. You were far off because you had to come to the Jew to get near. Because salvation was of the Jew. But now you have been made near. Obviously what we're talking about now is the Gentile. The Gentile is what is in focus here. Um, uh, certainly we know that because of verse 11. It's the, continue, the continuance of the thought. You were in times past Gentiles in the flesh. You were without Christ. You were aliens of the commonwealth of Israel. So you see, he's definitely talking about the Gentile here. Okay? Um, Genesis 17, 12 tells us, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generation. He that is born in the house or brought with money or any stranger which is not of thy seed. Listen. Look at that verse very, very carefully because it's an important verse. This covenant of circumcision was made with Abraham. Now remember what I told you, you've got to make sure you understand that the covenant made with Abraham, which started in Genesis chapter 12, there's a twofold understanding of the covenant. The first one the understanding is the physical reality of it. For a Jew, they need to physically get circumcised. Okay? Now, let me ask you a question. Does a Gentile physically have to be circumcised? No. They don't. Okay? So that is... That, that, that's, but a Jew does. At least back then. Hear me out. But a Jew did. Okay? Why? Because God wanted to put the little baby boy through some pain? No, because it was a picture. What I do find very interesting is that it tells you to do it on the eighth day. And what I don't understand is how the heck those guys knew that the eighth day is the best time to circumcise somebody. That, medically, that is true. That is the best time to do it. How did those guys know that? That's, that, 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 that's a mind blower right there. Uh, if you don't just understand that, but well, because God is the one that would know, of course, and that's what he told them to do, right? But then now look what it says there. It says, every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house. So let's, let's play this out now. Abraham was the, the father of who? Isaac. And Isaac was the father of Jacob, who is Israel, making Abraham the father of the Jews. So when it says in your house, it's talking about that from a physical standpoint, okay? What happened back then and what the, 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 the Jew, what, what they were commissioned to do as kingdom of priests, they were commissioned to take the law of God and bring it out to the Gentile world. God had a path for the Gentiles back in the Old Testament. But the path to the Gentile was through the Jew. Hence the reason why it says salvation is of the Jew. Now, we might go, well, why? Why would that be? Well, ultimately, the most easiest way to answer that question is because that's where Jesus was going to come from. Okay? 
Now, there's other things we can say to that, and we could dig a little deeper into that, and it's probably worthy of another study. But it would put us on a bunny trail, and we don't want to go down that trail right now. Let's just keep it easy, okay? Because Jesus was going to come from the tribe of Judah, which was Israel. Enough said. Okay, but, but, but to do that, you had to proselyte into the Jewish religion, okay? So there was a path. God made the path for the Gentile. Old Testament uh, 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 Gentiles could come to Christ, but it had, uh, let me say that again. Old Testament Gentiles could come to God, but it had to be through the system of the Gentile, the tabernacle, and all that stuff. So that's why it says, or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. But there's something more into all that, and I want to make sure you see it, because there's the spiritual application that also is involved in all of this, and that is circumcision is a picture of what is going to happen to you when you do get saved and your heart gets circumcised, if you will, from a spiritual standpoint. We were just talking about this that we, this week, weren't we, Justin? Okay, so, so there's a spiritual application, but then also, were we bought with money? Well, well, Judas, Judas did pay 30 pieces of silver. <laughs> now, I'm not saying we were bought by money, but... You can now see the, oh, there's more of an application here. Yeah, and we were, we were bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. So, so you see where that fit. You can see the spiritual application of that. God is pointing to something in the future that didn't even happen yet. Huh? I, I, I find stuff like that pretty cool. Like, you can't make that stuff up, Right? The, 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 the application to it is pretty cool. But now, you have been bought with a price, and look at you've been born into the house. How about that? You were adopted and born into the house that you were strangers to. I, I want to make sure you see all this, because like I said, this passage... These next eight or nine verses are very important to understand. They really are. And I'm going to try to tie a bow on this as quick as I can because i got 23 minutes to do so because Pastor Billy is here next week and I don't want to try to break this up into two messages. Uh, so, <laughs> with that being said, uh, 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 if you have the blood of Christ in you, you are part of the body of Christ. It is no longer by the covenants. It is now by the blood. You may be sitting there going, I don't even know what that means. Just keep going, bro. Oh, no. You need to know what that means. If you haven't already figured it out, what we're really starting to hammer in now and what these passages are going to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt is that the church, the body of Christ, absolutely did not replace Israel. Absolutely did not. In this passage, you are going to see just how, what, what was point number two? What's chapter two all about? What did we say? New. There's something new. 
You want to, do you understand why I'm saying that? Because something new can't be replacing something old. Hello? Do you all hear what I just said? And again, if you're sitting in that seat going, I know, Pastor, you got that, man. You've, t- you've drilled us into it. I want you to know the reason why I'm making sure I'm hammering this stuff, not because I think we're better than anybody else. I just know what everybody else is preaching. And I'm just telling you, again, 95% of pastors sitting at the pulpit this morning, whether they're doing it consciously or unconsciously, that church that they're a part of is teaching some form of replacement theology. And it is wrong. It is wrong. And I want you to understand why it's wrong. Not just know that it's wrong. Last night at our Bible study, we were, uh, we were looking at the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Okay? Listen, if I said to you, now I think this congregation is pretty good. I think we've talked about this stuff before, okay? But, but I want to see, see where I was going with this. If I said to you, do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? Everybody? Okay, good. Could you prove it in Scripture? That's where a lot of people go, uh, I think I could. Uh, let me think about that for a minute. Now, if you've been a part of this congregation, I'm going to say, dude, you better be able to do because we've talked about this stuff before. Okay? But, man, when you're out there talking to people, when you're out there having conversations with people, start asking some questions, man. You'll be surprised what your answers are. Do you believe Jesus is God? Uh, well, I believe he's the son of God. That's a very popular answer. Well, do you believe he's God? Okay, then somebody might say, well, yeah, I believe, I believe he's God. Okay, hey, man, prove it to me. Well, um, listen, this church, myself and Robert included, do not believe something just because somebody told you. That's not being a good Berean. Okay, no. Don't, just because I told you that replacement theology is wrong, don't believe it just because your pastor said, well, I trust you. Okay, you're going to put your trust in me or you're going to put your trust in the Bible? See, you don't have to answer to me on the day of judgment. You got to answer to him. <laughs> you better make sure that what I'm saying is right. Because if what I'm saying is wrong, see, I'm not sure that's how many people come to church anymore. Many people, and please, please hear my heart on this. I'm not trying to be critical by what I'm saying. But if we just stop and think about it for a minute, you go, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think most people come to church, number one, because they're lazy. You go, wait a minute, you just said they come to church. Yeah. You want to know why they're coming to church? So that the pastor can tell them what the Bible says. Am I wrong? They... they They will not pick up that Bible Monday through Friday, and Saturday included. They'll come to church for an hour, and for 20 minutes, they'll listen to what the pastor has to say about the Bible, and then they'll just believe whatever he said. Well, he's the pastor. He's got to be right. Oh, no, he doesn't. Oh, no, he doesn't. And Jeremiah is very clear about that. There are pastors that are destroying his vineyard. 
okay? So no, don't just take the pastor at his word. No, just don't trust everything I say, okay? You trust what I say if what I'm saying is coming from this. If it's not, there's a lot of things we believe that, honestly, why are we believing them? I'm not saying they aren't worthy of believing. Do I think Jesus is God? I think he absolutely 100% is. But I could take the Bible and I could prove to you that he is. If you can't do that, then my question is, why do you believe that? Why do you believe what you believe? Just because your church taught you that? Or because you were watching something on TV and some doctorate of something told you something and all of a sudden you just believe that because, well, he must be right. He must be right. Hey, listen, that's why I didn't believe Jesus was a real person for a long time because I was watching TV one day and some doctorate was telling me that there's no evidence that Jesus is a real person. And I just believed him. We got to be careful. We got to be very careful because one of the biggest dangers that we have in the church and the reason why I think the church is in the state that it's in today is because of our presuppositions. It's because of our, what we have believed and put into the Bible when the Bible actually doesn't say it. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago in our Bible study uh, at, at Bill and Pam's house. Listen, how many people believe in original sin? Okay, just do me a favor, man. Find me the verse in the Bible that talks about original sin. Where's that verse? I don't got, I don't got that. What, what? I mean, and you need to understand what they're saying by original sin. Now, was there a sin that they did first? Yes, but that's not the way they're describing it. Okay? It's things like that. Why do we, well, and you know what the popular answer is? Well, that's just always what I believed. Well, so that's it? That's just always what you believe, so you're just going to keep believing it, even though it's wrong? Have you ever had conversations with people, and you're talking to them, and you're showing something in the Bible, and they're looking at it going, well, yeah, that's what it says, but that's just always what I believe, so I'm going to keep believing what I believe. <laughs> you want to know what that's called? Pride. Arrogance. That's called your opinion matters more than God's Word does. We've got to be a people. We have got to be an assembly of people at one Baptist. I can't speak for people that go to other churches. I can't help them. You can try to help them, but if they don't want to listen, there's nothing I, all I can say is presuppositions are very dangerous. Very dangerous. And I'm telling you, this particular presupposition is of utmost concern because Jesus says twice in his letters to the churches, they who say they are Jews and are not are the synagogue of Satan. Wait a minute, Pastor. Let me, let me, let me, check. Let me just make sure I understand what you're saying here. A couple of minutes ago, you just said 95% of churches are teaching some form of replacement theology. Are you telling me that 95% of churches are the synagogue of Satan? I'm not telling you anything. 
I'm telling you what the scripture said. You do whatever you want with that information. You, you run with it however way you want to run with it. Okay? I'm just telling you what scripture actually says. Those that say they are Jews, when they are not, are the synagogue of Satan. So it's now you're, you're going to have to figure out that if these churches are teaching replacement theology or not. And, and, and I'm just going to tell you, for whatever it's worth, do whatever you got to do. Go check it out on your own. Get, get, be a Berean. I'm just telling you what you're going to find out is that's what most of these churches are teaching. If you know what to look for, you'll find it. You will. Is what it is. Oh, what are you saying? The, 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 all those people are going to hell? I, I didn't say anything. I'm just telling you what Scripture says. You do with that information what you will. Do I think that people in those churches, there could be people that are saved? Of course I do. Of course I do. But I do know the Bible says, Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And I'm going to say, I never knew you, Jesus says. And, and listen, do note the word many in the Bible and what it actually means. Remember when he was talking over in 1 Corinthians 10, and he was talking about all those Jews that were in the wilderness, and he said, and many of them he was not well pleased. Do you know how many of them he was not well pleased with? All of them except for two. There were 652, is that right? Thousand? What was it? Six six hundred and three thousand five hundred men. We aren't even adding the woman and the children. Okay, when they took the census over there in numbers, there were six hundred three thousand five hundred men. We didn't add the women. We didn't add the children. Throw all of them in there now. What's that number? Let's just take a. Let's just pretend it was. Double plus, plus triple. That's just about 2 million. Roughly around 2 million people. And you want to know how many people God was pleased with? Two. By the way, he wasn't even well pleased when it was all said and done with Moses. Because Moses got dragged down by the people so much that Moses fell into it too. Only two of them got into that promised land. That's it. Do with that what you will. We all need to do with that what we will. I'm just trying to make sure you understand why I preach the way I preach and why I go down the roads I go down and why I try to bring this stuff to our attention because I think that if it's in the Bible, it's important. I just believe that. If, if you think I'm wrong about that or if you think I'm way too serious about that, well... All I know is he was pretty serious about me. And he was pretty serious about you too. And everything else in the Bible, he's pretty, pretty dead on about. He's got to be dead on about these things too. And, and we certainly can't push them off to the side just because they don't fit what we like. Well, it's not about whether we like it or not. It's about whether he likes it or not. If you have the blood of Christ in you, you are part of the body of Christ. It is no longer by covenants. And the covenants were given to who? It is now by the blood. 
But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But now are we, notice how the but nows are coming on here? But now are we delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve the newness of spirit and in, not in the oldness of the letter. But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandments of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith is not having to do the law. But now are there many members, yet one body. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? And what he's talking about there is, how do you turn back to the law? Even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, what's, what, what's chapter one all about? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Old Testament saints did not see that. But now they do. But now something new's going on. If any man be in Christ, he is a... Are you all hearing what we're saying right now? This is flying in the face of what replacement theology teaches. The Old Testament saint did not look forward to the cross. That... If that's true, then pull out all these but nows. Pull them all out. Because that means they, were, they saw it. They could see it. And better yet, well, heck, man, they got saved the same way we do. And you want to know what? That's exactly what most churches teach. Listen to what they're saying, and I'm telling you that's what they teach. And I'm telling you that's incorrect. There is so much evidence to the fact that this is incorrect, I don't even know where to start. I, I, I tried to throw you a bunch of them here. B, you now, you now, in God's purpose, in Christ, his body, we've been made nigh. We've been made near. To what? To God. To, to his grace, to his hope, his glory. And, and, and all of this was given to you by grace through faith. Nothing, absolutely nothing you could do to gain that. Hence the reason Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is so important to understand. Hence the reason why I stopped last week and did the right side of that board. You need to understand that. Don't be so far to the left with justification that you fall into easy believism. That's what most churches are, are doing. They're just talking about everything that Jesus did for you. I was listening again this week, man. I have a couple people that I've been discipling and talking to uh, outside of the church, and, and, and they're were, they were asking me some questions, and they're oh, could you go listen to this message? And I listened to it, man, and I'd be like, this is, this is ridiculous. This is wrong. And I would come back, and I would talk to them, and I'd show them. And I'd show them the scripture to prove that what they just heard was wrong. Man, I really thought that guy was good. Oh, he's not. No. 
am I, but you know what? Am I the bad guy? Why am I the bad guy? Because, uh, because I'm showing you that, that what that dude just said right there is wrong. And it was a big, it was, it was some pretty big stuff. It's salvation stuff. You guys all think that's important? I do. Okay. You now have been made nigh. You've been made near by what you've done. See, that's where the other side of the balance is. The other side of the balance, which is a lot less seen today in churches, is you need to work for your salvation. Although I would say that's, that's pretty much what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, so maybe it's not. I'm saying in Protestant churches, you're not going to see this as much. You know, in Protestant churches, you're going to see far left. It's all about what Jesus did for you. But then you have other churches that are going to fall into now what we call what? Legalism. See, what legalism really is, to the, to the, to the core, it's you need to do a work for salvation, but even, so, even more so, you, uh, 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 you're, you're, you're putting rules on people that are not in the Bible. The Pharisees were very good at this. They were putting all kinds of rules on the people that God never said. And Jesus had no problem calling them out for it. He went right at them for it. Just go read Matthew 23. So, so, so how did we get this grace? How did we get this hope, this glory? By the blood of Christ. We did not get this by the new covenant. We did not get this by Israel. We did not get this by the law. We did not get this by works. We got it by the blood of Christ. Now, is the blood of Christ under the new covenant? Yes. But, I, but the new covenant didn't do anything. What did it was the fact that the testator died on the cross. That was, the, that was what it was. It wasn't just because it was called the New Testament. Hence the reason why you've heard me say, hey, you got to make sure that you understand when the New Testament actually began. It did not begin with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It began when the testator died on the cross. Everything you read prior to that is still under the old covenant. And do you know how much false doctrine is being taught in churches this morning because they don't understand that? And you know why I don't know why they're teaching that? They're wrongly dividing it. Right? But do you want to know why they're teaching that? Because they firmly believe that the church has replaced Israel. And to them, they don't see the difference. It doesn't matter. It does matter. The Bible the Bible's very clear on the importance of the matter that Hebrews 9, 10, and 11 is nailing that left and right. By the way, Hebrews. Who's the one that needs to know that it matters? The, the Jews do. So you go, well, well, good, he told the Jews. Yeah, but you know what? When you say you're a Jew, you need to know it matters too. And there's a lot of people who are saying that they're Jews when they're not. Everybody understand why I'm hammering this so hard? I want to make sure you understand this. Now listen, not only do I want to make sure you understand this, I want you to understand why it's wrong. 
Because I don't want you just to hear me go, it's wrong, it's wrong. No, I want you to understand why it's wrong. Why the blood? Why the blood? Why did Jesus have to spill his blood? Uh, Gosh, we could probably talk about a lot of things, but I think there's two that really bring it home. Number one, it testified of Israel's stumble and fall. It testifies of the rejection of Israel of their Messiah. Think about it for a second. Jesus was born into the tribe of what, made, what was he then? And he was a Jew by blood. Y'all got that? Pretty, pretty good, right? Pretty easy. We got that. Well, yeah, he was, he was a Jew. He, he was a Jew by blood. And now watch what happens in Matthew 27, 25. Pilate says, what am I going to do with this Jesus called Christ? Crucify him. Crucify him. Get rid of that punk. We don't want him. He ain't our king. And Paul, uh, or Pilate says, I find no fault in the man. We do. He is saying he's the king of Israel. He is saying he's the Messiah. And he is not none of those things. Blasphemy. He is calling himself God. That's blasphemous to a Jew. And what do they answer, all the people? His blood be on us and our children. And you know what is really sad? It has been ever since that day. Start tracking the history of the Jew, and wow. They were kicked out of their land. They were dispersed. Everybody and their mother has been trying to kill them and wipe them out. Yet, they're still here. The only ones that have ever been kicked out of their homeland and are still here. You want to know why they're still here? Because they're great people. They're awesome people, man. They got it right. No, they still don't have it right. You want to know why they're still here? Because God said so. In his mercy and in his long suffering, he was not going to be through with them. God is not done with Israel. He is not, he is never going to be done with Israel. The church has not replaced Israel because God's not done with Israel. Acts 5.28 saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Hey, Sorry, Pharisee, you already did that when you nailed him on the cross. The blood's already on you, man. Don't blame the, 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 the apostles now. Acts 7.52, which of the prophets have you not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. They betrayed and they murdered the just one. And when that blood was shed, that blood was shed because he was a Jew. And to a Jew, that's important because that blood made him the rightful king. 
That has nothing to do with us, folks. That has zero to do with us. Do you understand now in Acts chapter 2, when Peter was going after them, to the Jews, do you understand what he was saying? You crucified your Messiah, you dopes. Don't you understand what you did? Some of them got pricked to the heart. Some of them were like, what do we do? What do we do to get saved? Is that the question? No. No, the question was, what do we do about the fact that we crucified our Messiah? Oh, no. I'm gonna, can, I, can I be frank here for a second? Ready? I'm going to use a word that some of you are going to go, oh, I can't. We're screwed. We messed up. We crucified the just one. We crucified this guy we've been waiting for all this time. The king. The son of David. We killed him. What do we do? Could you imagine being in that moment, coming to that realization? Oh, I mean, dude, if I, I don't believe in, I don't believe in, in, in suicide, but I'll tell you right there, man. Whoa. We just done messed up really bad. You have to understand how a Jew would have thought about that. That would have been a major, major, major realization to them. Oh my gosh. Dude, we killed the Messiah. I got to assume they were frightened. I got to assume they were scared. I got to assume they were looking up going, God, please don't bring your judgment down on me now. I got to assume all that stuff was going on. Why? Because the blood that spilled off of Jesus was the blood of a Jew. And he was a king. And they killed their king that he had the rightful owner of because of his blood. This had nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins. This had everything to do with the remission of sins. And isn't that what it says in Acts 2.38? Yes, it does. Pastor, wait a minute, man. You're really hammering some... I am hammering some stuff. Do you know how many people think this morning that Acts chapter 2 is where the church began? No, it did not. Absolutely. There's not a Gentile in sight unless he's proselyted into the Jewish religion. This has nothing to do with us at all. The day of Pentecost is for the... So what are you saying here? What I'm saying here is if you think the church started in Acts chapter 2, you are probably most likely a replacement theologian church. You probably are. You probably are. I'm not saying all of them are, but I'm saying you probably are. Because you're taking stuff that was given to the Jew and you're taking it for yourself. Now let's talk about tongues. Now let's talk about spiritual gifts. Now let's talk about having to be baptized to be saved. How many churches are teaching that junk this morning? Let's be honest. That was given to the Jew. None of those things were ever given to a Gentile. You won't find one Gentile in all the Bible that did any of it. Yet, we teach it like it's ours. No, it's not. No, it is not. It absolutely is not. Note, Acts 1 through 7, Israel is still getting an opportunity to repent. Repent of what? Repent, repenting of their sins. Uh, they're repenting of a sin. Yeah. 
I'll give you that. And you want to know what the sin is that they need to repent of? They killed their Messiah. Go read now chapter 3. Go read chapter 4. Go read chapter 5. Watch. Go read uh, 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 Stephen's sermon to the, uh, the, the Pharisees at the council. Watch what he's doing. He ain't talking about salvation from your sin. Never once is he talking. You want to know what he's talking about? Don't you know that you crucified the just one? Don't you know that you killed the prince of life? Don't. You see what he's doing? He's giving them in God's long suffering, in God's mercy. I don't know how long Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 7 was. I'm going to say it was probably somewhere around five or six, maybe seven years, okay? But in all that time, now here's the fun part about it. Here's the part we can let. Here's our itching ears. Let's take it, man. Do you see how long-suffering our Lord is? He, they crucified him, and he's still giving them a chance. I don't know about you. I need that. Because I mess up an awful lot. <laughs> and I am so thankful that he's still giving me a chance. But there was a time when God put his foot down and the chance ended. There's going to be a time when God's going to put his foot down and our chance is going to end too. Know that. Understand that. Don't get so caught up in the justification that you forget that God's judgment is coming. And we're going to be held accountable for the things that we did wrong. Just like Israel was held accountable for it. Time and time again. Do y'all understand, man? Do you feel what I'm saying? We got to see this, man. The blood is a testimony that the Jews rejected him after the rejection. Now watch. After the rejection. And the rejection, the final rejection, came in Acts chapter 7. So, with that being said, the, I always think of it like this. It's like a chess match. How many of you play chess or have played chess? Okay, three people, good. All right, the rest of you are just goofy. You don't understand how to play a real game. All right. Chess is actually quite a, a, a very cool game. It really is because there's a lot of having to figure out your move five steps ahead and watching and thinking what the other person is going to do and stuff like that, okay? But, but if you ever watched a chess, a chess match, you go, why would I do that? Well, why would you watch golf? Okay, why would you do that? Okay, all right, so, so listen, so listen, and Carrie, man, me and you got to talk. We got, we got, we, I thought we were, I thought we were somewhere, and then pff, you, you killed it. You killed it, okay? You just did. Uh, oh, I know, I saw. I, I'm well aware, and I don't understand that, but, but anyway, that's, that's a different story for a different time. Listen, if you ever watched a, 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 a tournament of chess players, what happens is the one person goes, and then when he's done going, he hits the clock. And now it flips over. And now the other person has that much time to make their move. Y'all, and they go back and forth. Okay? And if the, if the sand ever drops all the way to the bottom, that person misses their turn. Yep. So I, 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 I've, I've always kind of, it was Chuck Missler who turned me on to that idea, if you know who Chuck Missler is. 
it, it's kind of like a chess match. Okay, so God had, had his, 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 his uh, hourglass there. It was Israel's move. It was Israel's move. And at some point, Israel missed their move. So God hit the time clock, and it flipped over. Now it's the Gentiles' move. That's where we are right now. Okay? And it's been like that ever since Acts chapter 7 ended. Not ever since Jesus died on the cross. Ever since Acts chapter 7 ended. They had rejected the Father by killing John the Baptist. They had rejected the Son by putting him on the cross. The final reject, what did Jesus say? You can reject me and you'll still be forgiven. You reject the Holy Ghost, you will not be forgiven in this world or the next. Why? Why? What is he saying? Don't we need Jesus to be saved? Yes, we do. Of course. But if you get to the point of not rejecting Jesus, then what that's going to lead to is you being saved and getting born again where the Holy Ghost moves inside of you. If you don't have the Holy Ghost inside of you, you have rejected God. Y'all get it now, what he was saying? And when did, what did the Jews do in Acts chapter 7? Why do you always resist the Holy Ghost? Why? And they were weeping, or they weren't weeping, they were gnashing their teeth, and they were so mad at him, and they took him out back, and Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Why? It's the only time in Scripture that Jesus is not sitting at the right hand. He's standing. Why? Because he was bona fidedly, sound pretty good. I dream liked it, Amy. Come on. He was giving them another final chance. But once you reject the Holy Ghost, it's over. And Jesus was standing there because if they would have accepted Jesus as the Messiah right then and there, because that was the crux of Stephen's message, if you go back and look what he was saying, Jesus would have returned right then and there. The second coming would have happened. And the church age would have been none. But they didn't. They didn't. And they took Stephen out back. And they killed him. It's, you know, I don't know what happened. And the hourglass flipped over. And Acts chapter 8 comes flowing into play. And look who comes on the scene. And look where he goes. Philip comes on the scene. Nope. Philip. Philip comes on the scene in Acts chapter 8, and he goes to Samaria, and he's preaching the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 9 comes into play. Now go ahead and say it. Now it's Saul. Saul is on his way to Damascus looking to kill them Jews that are a part of this way. Don't say he was going to go and kill Christians. They aren't called Christians yet. They're still Jews that were of this way. Let's be right. What does the Bible say? That's what he was looking to go kill. Jews that were following this way. What way? That Jesus is the Messiah. What does that have to do with us? Nothing. Hear that. Nothing. The transition was now starting to happen. As far as the Jew understood, Peter himself the Gentiles were still dogs. They were the vomit. 
God gave us the promises. We're the king of the heap. Yeah, but you just killed him. King of the heap. What are you doing, man? It's almost like God saying, are you kidding me? Saul is on his way to Damascus. The Lord Jesus Christ comes to him. And look at even Saul's salvation experience is different than ours. Read it. Is that how we get saved? No. No. Okay. That is not how we get saved. But what happens is Saul got saved. I'm okay with that. What's wrong with that? God can save people any way he wants to save people. I'm not going to argue with God. That's what it says. That's what it is. So then what does Saul do? He heads back to Damascus. Cornelius comes. He had a vision. and says, well, you know, um, <laughs> I had this vision. And God said that, uh, you know, I need to come talk to you. Okay, and so now Saul gets put on a path. You want to know where Saul goes? To Arabia, Galatians chapter 1, where he spends the next three and a half years. You know what's in Arabia, just in case you didn't know? Mount Sinai. Do you remember what happened up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights? Moses had a little talk with God. Y'all remember that? Well, listen, Paul went to the same place, and he went up on that mountain, and he had a little talk with God. Uh, he had a little talk with the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years. And you want to know what the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to him? The mystery of the gospel. Do you see why salvation cannot be the same thing? They didn't even know it yet. It wasn't even given to them yet. The Jew in that Acts chapter 1 through 7 could not have been saved the same way. Paul could not have been saved the same way. It wasn't even revealed yet. Hence the reason why Paul says, my gospel. It's not because it's, he's some special dude. No, it's because he was the apostle to the Gentile. He was given the revelation of the mystery. Now you understand why he's saying that in Romans chapter 16. Why he's saying that in Romans chapter 3. Why he's saying that in Colossians chapter 1. When he says, and I was, I'm revealing to you the revelation of the mystery. What's the revelation of the mystery, Paul? What is it? Let me tell you what it is and we're done. After the rejection, the blood is now preached to the Gentiles as to what God will use to purchase his church. Salvation through the blood. That's a big, big way to say that. Salvation through the blood. You see, the Jew rejected the blood as Messiah. They rejected it. Now, now the message is changing. It purchases propitiation, redeems, justifies, and makes peace for us. To Israel, his blood gave him the right to sit on the throne of David, and they rejected it. To the Gentile, his blood gives us the right to sit with him in heavenly places if we believe in it. Amen. Drop the mic. Oh my. I hope you just read what I just said. And I hope you filled in those blanks, and I hope you pay attention to that because that's big. To Israel, his blood gave him the right to sit on the throne of David, and they rejected it. To the Gentiles, his blood gave us the right to sit with him in heavenly places if we believe in it. Yeah. Do you understand that? 
You need to. It's that important. That's why when we say that the church has replaced Israel, <laughs> you throw that statement right out the door. Right out the door. And I don't know about you, man, but I'm not going to throw out the door what God puts his stamp of approval on. We didn't replace Israel. We became a new creature. And you want to know what happened when we became the new creature? He took the Jew and he took the Gentile and he made them one. We don't get what the Israel gets. No. We get something new. We got whole new promises that were given to us. And no disrespect to Israel, I'll take the promises he gave to us. I like those a little bit better. Does that make us special? Yes, it does. Very special. And now let me end by saying this. Do you realize the privilege you actually have? And we squander it like it's nothing. You want to know why we do? Because it's all about me and what I get and how I get it. What I like, how I like it. And we're squandering all these precious promises that the Lord has given to us and he's given to nobody else. Do you not think there's going to be an accountability to that? Really? Do you not think that? Well, if you don't think that, I would spend some time in First and Second Corinthians. First Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 7, 2 Corinthians 13, to name a few. And you tell me if we're going to be held accountable to it or not. Anybody? We're kind of quiet. Father, we come before you, Lord. We just want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for everything you do for us, Lord. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would be a people that would be mindful of what you paid so that we could have salvation. Help us to be mindful of what you've done for us, Lord. Help us to understand the precious promises that we've been given. And Lord, when you promise something, you will give it to us if we just do what it is we are called to do. Lord, you can make promises, and although there are promises that you were made from justification, and we will realize all those promise, promises, help us to understand that we won't get all the promises that were made in sanctification. There is something we need to do. We need to, as Paul said, understand, I beseech you, therefore, present our bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable. Lord, we do love you. And Lord, none of these promises that were made, none of these blessings that you've told us about in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, none of what you have done uh, making us this new creature, uh, none of this uh, revealing of the dispensation, uh, none of that is going to have its full realization if we lose our rewards and we lose our inheritances while we're still living in the flesh. So Lord, I pray 
for all of us that could say that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. Lord, I, I pray that we wouldn't just call him Savior, we would call him Lord. He's not, it's not just about what he did for us. It's about being servants because of our love for him. He, he deserves it. It is our reasonable service. So Lord, help us to uh, understand that. Uh, help us to be better today than we were yesterday. Uh, there's nothing we can do about where, what we've done. We can only work on and, and worry about what we're going to do in the next moment. So Lord, I pray that we would get that, we would understand that. Uh, Lord, we do love you. Uh, we do thank you for all that you do. Uh, Lord, and you have certainly given us uh, many, many precious promises that I am grateful for. Uh, but Lord, uh, again, as I said, help us to not think we deserve it because we don't. And we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.